This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Known and Ever podcast. I'm your host Natalie Bromley and this week we are going to be talking about a fifth consecutive Premier League win which cements Burnley's hold on seventh place in the Premier League title, sorry Premier League table and sets us well on our way to European glory. Joining me this week as ever is regular panellist and co-editor James Bird. Good evening James. Good evening. And we also have a very special guest on our podcast this evening. Those of you who follow our social media accounts you will know that we've had um, a few changes in the team recently with a few long-standing known and ever members um, leaving the team to go and pursue other interests so just to actually have a little bit of a break from the long slog that's been the known and ever podcast since about 2009 and we recently found out that producer Adam would be stepping away to have a break from the, the podcast so we were on the hunt for a new producer and we are delighted to be joined this evening by Matt Moss who is stepping in to produce production shoes Matt welcome to the known and never team hello it's good to be here Good, good, good. Do you want to, I, I feel sorry for Matt actually, because he's joining the chaos that is the Non and Ever podcast. And I think he's going to find out pretty quickly that this polished um, product that you all see is, is not really so much polished before it gets edited. Um, Matt, do you want to take this opportunity to introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us everything that we need to know about your life as a Burnley fan. Okay. Um, well, I live over in Chorley um and i follow the clarets for about 16 years now since um since i met my wife uh and discovered that all her family are from burnley and are mad clarets and so i kind of adopted the clarets and um yeah it's been quite a 16 years really it, it came in at almost at the right point really the the start of the upward the upward turn um and as we've had children they've been kind of branded as clarets uh, at birth and they've uh, They've had quite a, a, a good run of it as well, really. My eldest is, is nine, so he was he doesn't remember the first promotion, but he, he just about remembers the 2014 promotion. Um, and uh, both my boys were there with me at the QPR game at, at the end of 2016 to see that promotion. Um, I'm not sure whether Adam was uh, more chuffed about getting back in the Premier League or more chuffed about them getting back into the match attacks book. Um, so, 
yeah, I, I work in a college. I'm a performing arts technician, so hopefully some of my work skills will lend themselves to editing a podcast. Uh, and I've been listening to the pod for about two years now, um, and I'm just happy to help out and ease the burden on you guys. Excellent. Well, we're very, very happy to have you, actually, because I think uh, otherwise James and I would be tearing our hair out in the summer, wondering what we're going to do about editing the, the show every week. Um, an adopted claret. I do love this. I love hearing stories about people who maybe grew up and were born in different places and end up just being sucked into the pull that is Burnley Football Club. And, and obviously you're now breeding future clarets as well, which is really, really good. Um, I do worry, though. I do worry for our recent fans who haven't quite had the painful of experiences of, of sort of um, Orient game and, and all the, the Port Vale on a Tuesday night in front of 2,000 crowds and things like that. But I'm, I'm sure you're, you're very much enjoying the, the successful ride like the rest of us are. So let's um, get on with this week's show. And we have an absolutely fantastic win to talk about. As we said, Burnley won at home to Leicester on Saturday, which made it five consecutive top flight wins. And the first time that the Clarets had done that since 1968, I believe. Um, I'm not a massive fan of these stats because if you look at that, we're saying, oh, they haven't done five consecutive top flight wins since 1968, but we haven't actually been in the top flight for the majority of that time. So it's a little bit of a false stat, but uh, I do still think it's, it's still quite impressive. Um, and I'm, I'm led to believe as well by the national media that this is actually the first time ever that Burnley have scored two goals in the first 10 minutes of a Premier League game, which was, um, yeah, very, very good. It was a very positive game. The Clarets... They had to ride their luck a little bit at times, but on the whole, a very successful performance. So let's start as ever with the starting lineup and the teams as they came out. And James, we saw that um, Nkudu had taken a knock and wasn't available for selection, but luckily, Good Munson came back into squad. Now, I imagine that made you pretty happy having JBG back in the squad. Yeah, it was good to see Goodmanson back in the team. You know, he's had a good season so far, and. Um... He's been someone that I think we've missed when he's not played. Uh, and Duco's been hit and miss, I think. And it seems to be a pattern, really, with Dash and loan signings. They don't never seem to really bed in properly. Uh, so it was good to see someone who's been such a key part of the team back. Um, and I think he had a you know a reasonable impact in the game. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I'd echo your thoughts about Nkudu as well, actually. I think we, we discussed this on the pod last week, didn't we, about him maybe not having the impact that we hoped he would do. And and it's a shame, really, because he was brought in to provide some pace. But I also think that he his his loan signing kind of got overshadowed by um, Aaron Lennon being signed as well, which is obviously a very successful signing. So on, on the whole, James, were you pleased with that starting lineup? I think one of the things that, that strikes me is that we've got a very, very thin squad and, and we're not big in terms of numbers, but we do have, um, we, we, we seem to have managed to have coped, haven't we? We've had a lot of injuries this season and a lot of times we've had to rotate the team. And once again on Saturday, it just, it seemed seamless that we had, we could just cope again. Yeah. Uh, was, it, it's, it's difficult because we've got, you know, such a small squad. And I think if you look at uh, the, the amount of players teams have used, we're right up there in the, the smallest number of players used. Um, and it's difficult when you see you know people like Ben Mee are, are out with Knox and Ben Mee's been such a key part of the team but again I think Kevin Long's shown his ability to come into the side and and we've shown our ability to to bring in players who've maybe been on the fringes and they can step in and, and play play really well I think when um, 
for example, when Defoe first got injured, I think a lot of people were thinking that that could be it for our season. It could sort of really kill off our momentum. But actually, Westwood's come in. He's shown that he's a, a player with a lot of class um, and surprised quite a few people, I think. And, you know, you see the same with Kevin Long, a guy who's been here for such a long time and never really got a good run of it. But he, he's shown that he knows the system. Uh, he's comfortable with the other lads and, you know, he's managed to get in the team of the week this week. So it was great for him. Yeah, it definitely was. I hadn't seen that about the team of the week, actually. That's great news. Um, I, I obviously share your enthusiasm for Ashley Westwood. I think he's doing really, really well. Um, well, obviously, the team selection paid off because the Clarets got off to an absolute dream start with, with basically turning up within the first 10 minutes. So let's let's have a look at that first goal, which was um, an absolutely fantastic combination of Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes, again, who were just proving to be a very, very competent partnership and, and they, they're really getting some rapport together. Now... I think we were quite lucky again this week in that it was the second week in a row where there was a defensive mix-up. I think Wesley Morgan um, did a, a bizarre pass to get it to Barnes in the first place. But James, just talk us through, firstly, that turn and that pass from Ashley Barnes. When did Ashley Barnes turn into Messi? Well, I wouldn't go quite so far, but I think, you know, Ashley's come on a lot with uh, what he can do with the, the ball from a passing point of view, I think. His, his playmaking's really improved. Um, I think we've always seen why he's built the turf. He's got great touch, great control of the ball. Um, but now he's adding a, a little bit more, um, you know, a creative edge with his passing uh, and it shows there. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the job's not done at that point and Wood has to, to, to finish it. Um, and, and, you know, he's shown there that there's a reason we paid the amount of money we did for him and it's because he's a, a natural goal scorer. Yeah, it really is. I think what I really liked about that goal, I think from both of them, I think Barnes just looks sharp as anything when he's, um, you know, making that turn to, to know where Wood is and to be able to pick him out of that spot and just put that ball exactly where he needed it. And then Wood obviously does his I think what I like about it he does his first shot with one foot and then actually has to do the rebound with another foot so it's it's just showing competency there from both from both feet um I mean do you think we're just looking just sharper and hungrier up in front of goal do you think that's what it is or do you think there's something else you know I we just seem to look like we're going to score every single time we get close to goal which is maybe something we've not been able to do before well, certainly for that goal, I think the difference between the two teams there was the sharpness. Um, you know, if you look at, at the position Woods in, where when the ball comes through to him, really he he should be offside there. Um, the the guy playing him on, I don't know why he's so deep, why he's not come out quick enough, and it's uh, sort of lazy defending from Leicester. Uh, you know, maybe it's just it's so early in the game, um, not really got into it yet, not really thinking um, that you know the the right way, doing the right things, but. Uh, it's an opportunity you can't really give to a striker like, like Wood. And obviously, I think the keeper does well to, to stop the first effort. But, um, you know, when the rebound falls where it does, there's, there's, you know, nine times out of ten, I think Wood's scoring there. Um, and, and that's shown how sharp he is as well to make sure he's there for his rebound because, you know, it's easy for players to sort of get back on their heels after they've missed a chance and, and not be there to get the rebound. Yeah, it certainly did. And Lesser clearly didn't learn their lesson because less than three minutes later on the ninth minute, Burnley were at it again and, and putting the second one in the back of the net. Now, this second goal was obviously came from a corner, it came from a set piece. But again, James, Woods, 
just persistence in trying to win the corner in the first place. It was so early in the game and he just wouldn't let the Leicester defence settle and he just chased that ball down into the corner and just won ourselves, um, sorry, won us, won us a corner. I mean, we just don't, there's a desire, isn't there, about this side now and there's there's a hunger of, of them that's just breeding confidence everywhere. Yeah, you know, we're, we're fighting for balls and we, we're playing, I think, with that uh, trademark dash passion that we've that, that has marked the sides that um, he's been gaffer of for us. You know, we fight for every ball, we chase every uh, every lost cause. Um, and I think ultimately if teams do that consistently, then it, it pays off and you do get the rub of the green and you get things go your way. Um, I know, you know, there's still aspects where we've maybe not been lucky this season, Um you know, particularly trying to get penalties, but I'm sure we'll come on to that in a bit. But you, you, you look at the the stuff we do and really create our own look ninety um, percent of the time, and you know, chasing every ball. Um, it's one of the most simple things you can do in football, but it, it's one of the things that can make a massive difference in a game. So what did you think about the goal itself, though, then, James? I mean, obviously, we, we know about the build-up and we know about the hunger and the desire and, and, like you say, the look that this Clarets team are creating for themselves. But the goal itself came from. An unlikely source, Kevin Long getting up way above the rest of the defence and and heading a superb goal, actually, into the corner. I don't really know whether nobody was picking him out or, again, the Leicester defence were just half asleep. But it was a fantastic header from, from again, a defender who's perhaps, I'm not just going to say struggled with confidence, but he's he's had to bear the brunt of some criticism from just not being Ben Mee or Michael Keane or James Tarkovsky and not being good enough. But he's come in after all this time, um, you know, having to sit on the bench. He's come in and he's been sharp enough to, number one, defend very, very well. And we'll come on to that in a minute. But also to have the confidence to go up for and put that ball in the back of the net. I mean, what did you make of it, James? I think it's a classic centre-half's goal, uh, to be honest. You don't see as many of them as you used to, but you know, I remember when uh, we had sort of Steve Davis at the turf and and uh, Sinclair or McGreal, those were the types of goals you saw your defenders come up with, uh, you know, a classic header from a corner. He, he rises really well. I think he, I think I put on Twitter that he, you know, let like a salmon. Um, he really does get up there, get get above the other players. And I think, you know, as I've been saying, he wanted it more ultimately and he, he gets there and he, gets a solid head on it and um, it's difficult for goalkeepers when you know someone gets a head on something like that from that distance it's got enough power behind it so um, it's a great goal and it's you know nice to see because I think he, he deserves it for just how patient he's been in his time at Burnley if nothing else um, and you know as you say some of the stick he's got where he comes into games very very rusty um, you know barely playing and like I said last season he's not keen on me and he came in with Tarkovsky and I think Tarkovsky at the time got a little bit of stick for his performances, but they were both players who were on the fringes not playing often. And I think people sometimes forget that it's not easy to just, you know, jump into playing Premier League football. Uh, you know, it's a, a, the game's been played at a high level and it, it requires you to, to be sharp. And yeah, the only way to get sharp is to play games. Indeed. James Bird's analysis of Kevin Long, like a salmon. That's got to be this week's title of the podcast, doesn't it, James? We think like a salmon. So let's stick with Kevin Long then while we're on on the subject. Uh, we're going to flit a little bit just towards the back end of, of the game. Um, I actually thought that he had a fantastic game overall and, and just picking up on what you were saying then, James, about how he's, he's improving. He made... 
And I, I don't think there's been enough coverage of this. He made an absolutely fantastic block to deny Vardy a second, which was looked like it was an absolute certain um, equaliser. He just managed to get um, a little touch to it just to brush it away from the goal. Um <sighs> I guess given that we're now accepting that he is improving, that he is looking a lot more confident and that he is turning into being um, a very trustworthy defender in that very solid back five, do you think, James, that Deitch can, I guess, weave his magic wand, wave his magic wand over Kevin Long and turn him into the next Tarkovsky or the next me um, or the next Keane? Does, does Kevin Long have it in him to be able to be... Um, turned by Daesh into another world-class defender. I, I'm not sure whether it's fair on uh, Long to say it'd be Daesh turn him into it. I think, you know, everything that he's uh, he's done is what he's capable of and what he's been capable of all along. Um, you know, I think the atmosphere that Daesh creates in the club probably helps players get the best out of themselves. You know, he's ensuring that they eat the right way, they train the right way, that, you know, they're as fit as they can be. Uh, and obviously there's that element that will make a, a massive difference to the way he performs. But um, I think, you know, it can be a risk to sometimes credit the manager too often with with what he gets out of players. Um, you know, he, he, does an ex, he does an excellent job, but ultimately the players are responsible for the way the players play. Um, and I think that's something that's lost quite often in, in modern football now with, uh, you know, managers ultimately always being responsible for the team's performances. Um but as whether he can be as uh, Tar- uh, Tarkovsky or me, I think that's you know difficult to say. For me, um, I don't think Keane or Tarkovsky are as good as Ben Me. Um, I think he's got qualities that you don't see uh, in in Premier League centre halves that much anymore. Um, you know, sheer will to win. Uh, you know, he's willing to to put his body on the line. Um, it's something you don't necessarily see a lot of Premier League footballers these days. Uh, and to me. Uh, ben Mee's the most important part of the defence. I think he's the real heart of it. And and we've seen that, you know, the way Keane's gone on, he's struggled at Everton. Um, you know, Tarkovsky stepped in and when he, he did last season alongside Long, he maybe looked a little bit shaky, but this season he's coming alongside me and he looks fantastic. I, I really don't think it's a coincidence. I think Mee's got a calming influence on people who play next to him. Um, I think he's got, you know, real leadership uh, and, you know, a, a real... Uh, ability to make those who play around him play at a higher level um, and it's been actually one of the positives for me uh, of, of Tom Heaton being out injured you know obviously alongside Nick Port playing so well is that Ben Mee's had the chance to be the captain of the side and I think it's um, it's shown what a great captain he is uh, and you know the effect he can have on the team and um, I think that's something that maybe uh, has been overlooked a little bit uh, because you know there's not really much focus put on captains because so many teams tend to just give it to a star player whereas you know at Burnley I think you'll see the people who have the, the armband when the others are out um, Heaton, me, Cork they're all vastly experienced players who um, you know maybe quieter individuals and you'd expect of, of a lot of people who get made captains but they, they have a real quality of the leadership about them and I think they make the team better yeah, well, you, you definitely won't have any arguments from me over that analysis of Ben Mee. I've been saying over a long time that um, Ben Mee is the constant in that defence and he he's the real quality. And it 
it's been really irritating me that it has been overlooked for an England role, to be honest. And, and to see how quickly Tarkovsky got called up for England, you know, I mean, it's fair enough. He has played incredibly well. But and I remember tweeting at the time, I felt frustrated. I didn't know what Ben Mee needed to do. And I think, forgive me, listeners, I can't remember who it was who tweeted this, but I remember somebody tweeting me saying, the problem for Ben Mee is that he doesn't appear to be able to play alongside Ben Mee, which that just sums it up for me. He he isn't, he is the one person that, that makes defenders look good and not actually that's probably setting myself up there for some for some criticism the defenders themselves obviously Michael Keane and James Tarkovsky are fantastic world-class defenders themselves but me brings the best out of them James and I couldn't agree with you more um so let's stick then with um that defense for two reasons I guess number one um Nick Pope and number two, um, Tarkovsky. Um, I think most people know now, once again, England manager Gareth Southgate was at the game on Saturday. I think he started to get a season ticket actually at Burnley. Um, I was quite lucky enough on Saturday that I was sat right behind him and I could see him. I was watching him most of the game. And gosh, he doesn't give anything away. I was desperate for him to see a little flinch or something that would give it away. And when the Burnley crowd were chanting England's number one at Nick Pope, when they were singing Tarkovsky's name, it literally stone cold face. He didn't give anything away, listeners. I couldn't get a single read on him. And there were a couple of times actually where he was sat next to, to Mike Garlick, our chairman, and he um, he was like nudging him a little bit and, and trying to get a little bit of banter of him when, when they were singing, oh, like Pope made a really good save or he... Um, you know, he was trying to get a little bit of a razz out of him and he wouldn't give anything. So, James, I think from an England... I mean, obviously, there was a lot for Gareth Southgate to watch from that game there were Leicester, from Leicester and Burnley. But there were two two things, obviously, he's going to have another chance to look at Nick Pope, who I thought had a fantastic save. Uh, sorry, fantastic game. And he also had a chance to have a look at um, Tarkovsky and Maguire. Um, the popular opinion seems to be that it's going to be one of the two of them who goes to Russia, not both of them. So let's stick with Pope first, James. Um, an absolutely fantastic performance and a lot of the national media were giving him man of the match. Um, he particularly, I think it was a couple of saves in the first half. I think one of them was a Mares header, was it? And I think the other one was um, a Vardy shot as well, both of which he got down very, very quickly to, to save the goal from going in and basically kept it at 2-0 at half time, which was really important as it turned out with the second half being as dominant as it was from Leicester. Um, James, was that one of the best performances you've seen of Pope or do you have a different opinion? Um, I'm not sure if it was really particularly that outstanding. I mean, it was a good performance, but um, you know, I think we come in to expect a certain level of performance from Nick Pope now, and um, he made some key saves at some key moments. But obviously, ultimately, that's what you need you know, goalkeepers to do for you. That's why you hope you have a, a good goalkeeper. But it, it's it feels like we're we're almost you know talking him up every game and. To be honest, I don't know whether at some point do we sort of see it as um, it, this is his level. Um, do you know? Do we stop being astounded by it and just see it as this is normal? This is how Nick Pope plays. I think we did get to that sort of level with the Tom Heaton, and uh, you know we kind of expect him to make the big saves and expect the the key performances from him. Um, so I know it was it was a very good performance, but I, it's hard to sort of rank it up there with. Um, his overall performance, I think it, it was kind of like um, oh, I'm trying to think of the, the right way to put it. 
you know, I can't really remember any massively standout saves that you thought, wow, that's uh, you know a world class save which he has made at times this season. Uh, and for that reason, it's just kind of one of those performances, very solid, but doesn't particularly stick in my memory. And it's not one I think uh, when I, I think about this game in a couple of weeks' time, I'll be thinking, oh, Nick Pope sort of won us that game. I'll be probably more likely thinking about the the two quick goals to to start and then how we defended really well for the the eighteen minutes after that. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think I think I'm going to give him credit for at least one of the goals. I think it was the, the Vardy goal shot that he he got down. I think it was a very impressive save. I just think his reactions were really really quick. Um, so I think maybe I'm slightly more enthusiastic about his performance than you are. But obviously, um, I, I completely completely agree with your point actually that at some point his expectation levels need to to plateau and we've got to start accepting that this is just how Nick Port plays and it's not an exceptional performance he is just that good um so what about the other defensive um partnership for England manager to have a look at James you know we had Maguire on one half of the pitch and Tarkovsky on the other half and as as I said in the introduction a lot of people are suggesting that suggesting that he's going to take one or the other I thought it was a pretty solid performance by both of them. I think maybe Maguire gets a bit forward a bit more than, than Tarkovsky does, but that's just his game much more than Tarkovsky's is and actually probably much more how Leicester play than we do. Um, if I had to be super critical, I think that Tarkovsky displayed a couple of bit too casual moments here and there. I think he let his eye off the ball and he did let a couple of passes, um, you know, straight up to Leicester players and he made a couple of errors in at the back. Do you think that's maybe being harsh or do you think it was a, a solid enough performance to impress Southgate? It depends on what he's looking for to me. You know, to me, if I'm looking at a centre-half, I'm, I'm not looking for someone like, you know, he's going to, ball playing necessary like Rio Ferdinand maybe was so to me I always think centre half I'm looking for someone reliable defensively um, I'm not really looking at what they provide uh, going forward too much as long as they're a, a solid passer um, you know can get themselves out of trouble uh, and I think for me Tarkovsky ticks those boxes a, a little bit more than Maguire does Um as I've already sort of implied, I'd personally I'd be taking by me. Um, I think that's just what we we need in the 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 centre of defence for England. A bit of um, heart and soul type player, uh, but it's interesting because I think the way football's going now that you see it with goalkeepers as well. And the reason I think Nick Port won't get a look in at England is his distribution is just not good enough. Um, you know, it's not awful. It's been more than serviceable for us this season, but do I think it's um, you know the the level that Southgate's going to want to play out from the back? No, there's been games where his kicking has been you know, woeful, um, you know, a, a bit wild, and that's that's fine. I, I to me, I don't prioritise a, a keeper's distribution uh, at the same level. Um, but you know the modern game is looking now more for keepers that can play out from the back. And I mean, you see Edison at City, and he's incredible on the ball. Um, you know, probably more skillful on the ball than some of our outfield players are. Um, and that's the way football's going now. Um, so it, it'll be interesting. Personally, I'd take Tarkovsky, but uh, I'd, I'd get the feeling that Southgate's going to be looking for that a little bit more on the ball, uh, and maybe that'll be what leads to someone else going. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, 
So let's move back, moving back to the Leicester game then. Um, obviously, we did concede a goal halfway through the second half. Uh, with Leicester pulling one back. It was a superb goal by Vardy, actually. It was one of the goals that you come to expect from a player of his quality. Was it inevitable, James, that we were going to concede? It did feel like Leicester finally woke up in the second half and they did give us a very tough game in, in, in that second half. Do you think there was anything that we could have done to keep a clean sheet or... Is it just very, very difficult to stop a goal of that quality going in? Yeah, I think it's one of those ones where, to be honest, you have to just accept that there's not really a lot more you can do in this situation because there is goals like that. And I know you you can try and analyse a, a goal for, you know, ages you can you can agonize over it look at every little detail but oh could so and so maybe close him down earlier or what about the position of this player but I think sometimes you've just got to respect that you know Leicester at the time were playing some really good football um and that I think they thoroughly deserved to, to to get a goal at that point so um you know Vardy's Vardy's one of those players where you know that he, he can take a chance um I know he gets a, a, a lot of stick at times but um, you know, he's a, a goal scorer. Uh, he's got a good instinct for scoring and I think that shows. Yeah, I think that's probably where I felt with this one, actually. I, I looked at it a few times and you just think, you know what, it, it's just a really fabulous goal. I've I've got a lot of time for Jamie Vardy. I think he's a fantastic player and I'm, I'm really excited to see what he can do at the World Cup in the summer. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure you could really lay much blame on anybody um, for that goal. It was just one of those goals that, that just happens from a class side. Um, I did joke about this a little bit on social media after the game and that I did feel like I was close to having a heart attack in that second half in that they did really try and get back into the game. They did push hard for that equaliser. But it was a bit of a weird game, James. I don't know if you felt the same thing in that we were under a lot of pressure, but I didn't feel at any point that we were hanging on and that we just scraped over the line. I did feel like we defended really, really well and, and I did feel like we coped with the pressure maybe better than we've ever coped before. I didn't I didn't feel like we were completely and utterly dominated. Did you? No, I think what, what happened there is we, we didn't invite people onto us maybe the same way we, we sometimes have. Um, you know, I think Leicester were pressing a lot uh, and they were making it very difficult for us. But quite often, I feel like we uh, invite people onto us more than than them bringing the game to us, if you know what I mean. And uh, for, for me, it was one of those ones where Leicester were just really looking to attack and it, it wasn't a case of we were sitting back too much. I think we were just you know, being forced back by some good football. Yeah, that's probably fair enough. Um but we didn't concede an equaliser. We did manage to hold on for that win. But it wasn't without, once again, penalty appeals which weren't given. Now, it's actually been a couple of weeks before we since we talked about this, James. I feel like we've had um, a small run of games where we haven't been completely denied by a referee, a, an obvious decision. Um, there were two, I think, penalty appeals, um, a foul on Barnes and a handball against Maguire. I think the foul on Barnes, for me, was probably more of a um, penalty than the handball. But... To me, I mean, Dyche was screaming at the fourth official and he just kept saying to him, it's a foul, it's a foul. Anywhere else on that pitch and that's a free kick, you've got to give the penalty. And the fourth official was having none of it. But that now marks over 12 months since Burnley were awarded a penalty and absolutely none this season. It's just 
it's hard not to get conspiracy theorist about it, isn't it? But it's so improbable in this league now with the referees giving penalties for the slightest of things. It's just bizarre that Burnley haven't had a penalty all season. And I think it just winds me up more considering the soft penalties that have been given against us. So I guess, James, two things for you to consider. Number one, did you think it was a penalty on Barnes or indeed have you seen the handball against Maguire given? And secondly, what on earth have referees got against his Burnley side where they won't give cast iron penalties for us? I think the handball is difficult on you. Sometimes those those are given, sometimes they're not. Um, it's hard to say the players don't do good, but he's you know he's got his arm in. I guess you could say he's in a natural position, so um, he's benefited from from it hitting his arm. So it's a difficult one. Um, I think it depends on how you interpret that law because I think it is a little bit vague in the in the rules. Um, but for me, actually, I think you've missed off the clearest one, which is the foul on Aaron Lennon. I think that was a clear penalty. Um, oh, you know, yeah. the, the player died. The player dives in and Lennon's running onto it in a really strong position. And um, I don't know what, really what it is about Burnley this season, but we just don't seem to be able to get a penalty. I don't know whether, uh, you know, referees are a bit sceptical about us, but it's a strange one because I'd say we're one of the most honest teams in the league uh, when it comes to going down. So um, I, I really don't understand. And you're with a the reception referees sometimes get at the turf as well. Normally, you know, if you saw that at Old Trafford and the crowd's getting on the referees back, I feel like the referees more likely to give something. Um, but at the turf, it seems like this, they grow the thickest skin they've had all season and uh, managed to not succumb to any pressure at all, even when these, you know, maybe not cast iron penalties, but, you know, very strong penalty shouts uh, occurring. Yeah, it does seem really weird. I, I just I just don't know what it is. And it's, it's really starting to frustrate me a little bit. And I'd be quite interested to see what other sides who, you know, what other fans who watch us play make of the same thing. Because it just seems really odd that... If, uh, I'm going to have to say it, listeners, and I know you're all going to roll your eyes at me, but you see the penalty decisions that are given in favour of the top six sides. And you literally, we, we've seen it ourselves this season. You you don't have to put your hand on the back of them. You don't even need to push them with any force. And what well, it's contact, it's a penalty. You know, Jeff Hendrick gets absolutely taken out away at Huddersfield and nothing's given. And yes, you, you're right, James, I completely forgotten about the Lennon foul. That you know, So we, we essentially could have had three penalty shouts on Saturday. And there's just not a sniff at all. And... And I'm just going to pick up on what you said, James, about us being an honest side. We're not a dirty side. We've not had... Have we had any red cards this season? I don't think we have, have we? I don't think we've had any red cards. We, we don't. We have very few yellows, yet we seem to have this reputation for being overly physical. And, and so we get penalties conceded because we're obviously roughing around um, in the box, you know, how dare we, um, you know, push down strikers and, and get, you know, deny them opportunity to score a goal. But our front two aren't divers, James. You're completely right. We don't we don't do the theatrics. If we get fouled, our players go down because they hurt. If they don't go down lightly, they don't dance around the penalty box and, and you know dive over. I think there's been a couple of instances in the beginning of the season where I remember um, 
Scott Arfield had a bit of a, a theatrics really early on, and that got stamped out pretty quickly because Dyche doesn't stand for it. And you'd think that referees would give us some credit for that. So when players do go down, just get them to realise that actually there's a very good reason for it. Um, but who knows? Once again, we didn't have one. Um, now, we've got to kind of look at this from from the other, other side of, this, of the coin. Dyche talks about luck balancing itself out at the end of the season. Um was the flip side of some leniency on this referee um, fortunate for Ashley Barnes, James? Now, I think Pure, the Leicester manager, was absolutely adamant that Ashley Barnes deserved a red for his foul on Schmeichel, which ultimately saw the Leicester keeper um, had to be substituted for an injury. It was definitely a yellow, absolutely unquestionable. Um, I think you could maybe argue that um, Simpson was at fault because, you know, he he gave an absolutely awful back pass to Schmeichel. I don't know what he was thinking. And Barnes, as a centre forward for me, has the right to go for that ball. But it, it did feel a little bit worse than just a yellow. It felt like it was almost, James, if you could have a card in between a yellow and a red, maybe a sin bin, it would be a sin bin offence. What's your take on it? Do you think it was a foul? Do you think it was just a yellow? Or do you think it could have been worse? Um, I, I don't feel like um, you can blame a defender, to be honest with that. Uh, I think that's probably stretching a little bit. But for me, actually, Barnes is fouled before he, he, he fouls Smichael. Um you know, it's clear in the rules that you, you're not allowed to obstruct a player in that way without playing the ball. And um, I think it's a definite foul on Barnes. Then Barnes, he, he, he jumps in rashly. Um, ultimately, I think the referee makes the right decision. It, it's, he's going for the ball. The ball is there. Um, it, it's not like he's, you know, leapt in and just at the player and the ball's long gone. Uh, the ball is there. It, it's rash. Um it's it's one you obviously won't encourage him to do, but for me, it's it's a yellow card and, and nothing more. Okay, I I think I will buy that one. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I did I did wonder when I was looking at it. I thought Ooh, I, you've seen it's one of those I think tackles for me where you've seen them as red sometimes, but they probably it's probably those where you go if it's a yellow, you think oh maybe there's an argument there for a red, but if it's a yellow, uh, sorry, yeah, so if it's it's a red, you think well maybe that's a bit harsh, so. Yeah, well, and we think we're going to say, Leicester manager, you were wrong. Actually, you know, we're going to protect our Ashley Barnes. Um, the only other thing then, James, I just wanted to mention from the Leicester game, just to wrap up the analysis of Saturday's match. Hendrick came back on. We saw an appearance towards the end of the game. He took Chris Wood off and went 4-5-1 with pushed Barnes a bit further up front and, and slotted Hendrick just behind him. So I guess more of a 4-4-1-1, I guess. It was it was a weird formation. I don't really think that Hendrick managed to get himself into um, much of a position um, in that game. That felt like a weird substitution for me and it felt a little bit like it was the dash of old reverting to defending for his life. And as it actually turned out, it didn't manifest itself like that in the game. I thought we actually defended incredibly well. And as I said earlier in the podcast, it didn't feel to me like we were um, clinging on at all. But I I just felt that that Hendrick substitution was a little odd. Would you have preferred to keep Barnes and Wood on 
all as, as well later or would you prefer to have left one of them on and put Vox on instead? I guess, you know, last week we went from having all three of them on the pitch um, at once when clearly we were chasing the game, so that's a bit different, to then having neither of them on the pitch by the end of the game and having Sam up front and zone with, with Hendrick in that sort of quasi number 10 role. Did you did it make sense to you, James, or do you think it didn't really work? Um, I thought it made sense, to be honest. You know, you've got to make changes that reflect the game. Um, you know, you, you highlight the other week, we, we went with three strikers. And yeah, in a game where maybe you feel like you can start to turn the tide and, and push on a little bit more, um, that, that's the right thing to do. But I think, you know, if you look at the way the game was at the time, um, the, the chance of us going from the, the position we're in to being on the, that on the front foot that we'd want three up front, um, I don't think it was going to happen. So to me, uh, it was a sort of substitution that fitted the situation. Really. Yeah, I think I think the main reason that I was, I guess, didn't really make sense to me at the time was just because, and maybe this is the panicking clarity in me, I felt that if we'd have conceded that equaliser, I felt that we maybe wouldn't have enough in us to go and chase the winning goal and reclaim the lead. Um, And I think, I I don't know whether or not I'm just maybe a little bit down on Hendrik for some poor performances recently, that it just felt like we were playing incredibly well and we're in this fantastic run of form. And then we brought Hendrik on, like you said, James, it it meant sense to you. So this is purely subjective um, criticism. It just was one of those where I just thought, "Mm," it just jarred a little bit with me when he came on. And I'm not entirely sure he contributed an awful lot to the game, but again, that's just my take on it. And I'm sure listeners, um, you will, um, have your own thoughts on that so that's maybe the the talking point from this week's podcast if you have any sort of strong opinions on Hendrick either way whether you thought it was perfect substitution how he affected the game or whether it didn't really impact at all then do tweet us and let us know and we'll we'll have a chat about that um so we'll leave the Leicester game James that that result put us on 52 points my goodness I don't think I ever thought we were going to see this claret side um, get to 40 points which obviously we did last season I don't know if you feel the same but but 50 to get above the 50 point mark feels like a huge improvement to me I don't know if you agree it, it, I always used to look at the Premier League table and see the teams that got above those points and wonder how on earth they got there um, you know how do you ever get over 50 points in the Premier League and we've done it this season um, do you think we are rightly sitting now in that higher bracket of clubs that should expect to get over 50 50 points this season and do you think we could actually go ahead and get over 60 um, I think there's no reason we can't go ahead and get 60 I said before I think all the games we've got left are winnable um, you know I'm still very much back in my bet for us to finish in the top six I think you know after Arsenal's result on Sunday there's a very real chance we can get above them uh, it's in our hands um, I think you know if anyone is is doubting whether we can get more points at the board. Maybe they've not been paying attention for the rest of the season and, uh, you know, they, they've, they've missed what we've already achieved. I think, you know, we should be looking to get as many points on the board as we can. Uh, as I've said, you know, numerous times before, from the football side of things, I'm not really that bothered about Europe. Um, but what I am bothered about is seeing us finish as high as we possibly can. Uh, and, you know, I have no doubt that I think Dash will keep pushing um, into the end of the season to, to win as many games as possible. 
Yeah, I think that, that brings us very nicely on to sort of our roundup of that one. Arsenal's um, shock defeat um, at the weekend showed um, basically put us within two points of Arsenal and basically meant, as James said there, that it's now in our own hands. If we win all of our games between now and the end of the season, we will finish in, in six. And that's basically down to the fact that we've got to play Arsenal away. Now, that's now turning into being an absolutely massive game, James. And I'm just... I share, I completely share your enthusiasm. I'm not, I don't expect um, Deitch to throw everything at the European Cup and sacrifice our league position or jeopardise our league position in any way to go for European glory. But surely that's an absolutely fantastic reward for these players and for these fans for what's been an absolutely remarkable season. Um, I, James and I have been healthily debating this for weeks now because I didn't share his um, confidence that we could finish in sixth but I remember you know James did comment after the game on Sunday that he did he has been saying for a long time now that that we could do it and it seems like we can um, we've got to obviously get those points on the board James so let's have a look to Thursday's game which is at home to Chelsea um, I don't know whether or not it's just because the whole town's feeling ridiculously confident after these five games that we've won but I honestly can't see us losing against Chelsea what you know, do you agree? What do you think we can have actually have a chance of winning that game? Chelsea in the current form, yeah, absolutely. I think we should be beating them. Excellent, nice and succinct. There you go, listeners. James Bird, yes, we should be beating them. Um, do, are you expecting a, a tough game, or do you think we'll just literally go out there with with the confidence and and basically put it to bed pretty quickly, or are you expecting a tough battle? No, you're never going to put a game against uh, you know a team with the caliber of players that that Chelsea have to bed quickly. They're still a very good side. Uh, you know, it's clear that they, they don't want the manager there. Um, it's clear most of the fans probably don't want the manager there anymore. Uh, you know, they're really not playing as a, a team. They're not playing for the manager, but there's still a lot of quality in that side. Uh, you know, if we saw that on Saturday when Southampton threw threw away a two goal lead, that's you know, probably uh, going to result in them getting relegated. That was probably sort of the, if there was a game where they could turn it around, it would have been that. Um, yeah, but now the confidence hit they're going to get is going to see them, um, you know, ultimately probably get relegated. But but you could see from the Chelsea players, you know, there were celebrations when they scored the, the winner, but they, they didn't really seem that, that fired up and you know, we've seen it before with Chelsea uh, only two seasons ago, uh, you know, the players sort of turn the back on a manager and um, I think that's what we're seeing again. So it's not going to be an easy game. I don't think any game in the Premier League is, you know, proven by West Brom beating uh, United on Sunday as well. You know, anyone can beat anyone on their day in this league. Uh, but as, if we play the way we can, play the way we started on Saturday, uh, play the way we played our last couple of games, I think, you know, Chelsea in the current form they're at and uh, the way their players are currently performing, we should be looking to, to win that it's you know it's not going to be a comfortable game but um, it's one we can definitely win well I certainly hope so I think I, I would flip that on the head and I think you make a very good point there James about how anybody can beat anybody on the day in this league and uh, you know I want the Chelsea players to in their current form to be looking at this Burnley side and, and having you know them saying well you know anybody can beat anybody we, we might be able to beat Burnley because we are that good now is that maybe me getting carried away with myself? <laughs> um, I guess then the only the only final point to think about for Chelsea, um, who do you start up front? Do you stick with that same formation and start Wood and Barnes again? Yeah, I, I won't be making any changes unless uh, for some reason Ben Mee's fit again. 
Excellent. And of course, once we've finished the Chelsea game, we've beaten them and we've gone six games um, back-to-back wins. We've got an opportunity to go seven games back-to-back wins because as soon as the Chelsea game's finished, the Clarets are away at Stoke on Sunday. Um, James, that's again going to be a completely different kettle of fish, I guess, in that Stoke are absolutely fighting for their lives at the moment and they're in real danger of, of being relegated. Um, I always find these games quite tricky in that you just, you might come up against an incredibly resilient side who refuse to get beaten and who are fighting for their lives, or you might have the benefit of coming against a side who are struggling and just can't get anything going. Um, I'd like to think with our current confidence levels especially if we win against Chelsea that we should just be too much for them shouldn't we um you know I think Stoker and another team like Southampton definitely down so um for me it's a game that should be pretty comfortable for us and I think you know we we were pretty comfortable when they came to the turf when it looked like Mark Hughes was uh inevitably about to go and he obviously managed to hold on for a few more games and they've never really got a second win since then um it's a weird one, you know. People have always looked at Stoke as a team who uh, are that solid mid-table Premier League side, um, but clearly they've shown that you know if you don't uh, keep evolving and keep moving forward, ultimately you're gonna you're gonna drop out of the league. And um, I can't really see a way out for them at the moment. And I think it should be another comfortable win for us on the road. Yeah, I think I probably agree with that. And it feels at the moment that. The Clarets have just got a ridiculous amount of confidence away from home and I would quite like them to keep those winning streaks away from home going for next season because, of course, we start again next season with a, with a whole clean slate and, and having to do it all over again. And, and given how much the Clarets have improved both at home and away from home this season, um, I think it's really important just to not take the foot off the gas at the end of the season and just to really push for... Um, as many points as you can, James. What you were saying earlier about wanting to, to finish as high as possible will be um, is right. So, and, and that is the way that Dyke should be approaching this game. So, hopefully, we'll go to to Stoke and, and, and pour some more pressure on them and just carry on that assault on the sixth place. Um, so that's all we've got time for this week, listeners. We have um, looked at a fantastic win at home to Leicester. We've looking forward to two away games at Chelsea and at Stoke. And hopefully by the time we join you next week, we'll be talking about seven back-to-back Premier League wins and the Clarets very much still fighting for that sixth spot off, off Arsenal. Um, thanks as always. Go to James Bird for joining me this evening and for giving up his time to discuss all things Claret. Thanks to Matt for editing this week's podcast and for getting on board as our new producer. But our thanks as ever go to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to this episode. Your support is much appreciated and we would not be here without you. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the None and Ever podcast. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. 
Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.